Hello and welcome to another episode of Radio Zaddy. My name's Hannah Bestwick and I'm here as always with the wonderful... Daisy Thurston-Jen. Hello Daisy, how are you doing? How's your hey, week? Hey Hannah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm very good. Uh, what you didn't hear was we just did a great vocal warm-up, which I wish you'd have all heard. We're actually very skilled vocalists. I don't know if you know, but we can do all sorts of things with our voice. You just only hear one side of us. Yeah, I learned a lot about you in the last um, yeah 40 seconds. That was nice. <laughs> That's excellent. Very glad. Sorry, what you might know is that Daisy and I have been on a tandem bike recently. We borrowed a tandem and went gaily cycling around We've the been Cotswolds. Really upping like our level of camp over yes. the last week, which has been great. And it's been it's you know, it's been eye opening. Everyone looks at you in a kind of shocked but delighted way. Yeah. In in kind of like this is you you look stupid. But it's very endearing. Even if you haven't like seen a tandem before, people seem to smile as if they know. As if, They're like, like of, ah. course, of course a tandem is here now, and I'm happy. <laughs> and I'm glad about it. We're like the bringers of joy in our kind of camp activities. Anyway, Daisy, <laughs> what are you going to tell me about So, today? I hope we're up to speed. Um, I'm going to yeah jump straight in. So, this, uh, this week, I've been looking at uh, the... Uh, symbolic history of yet another uh, queer object. Ooh, um, you it's, love queer objects. I do love queer objects. Um, and this one uh, is the bandana. Oh, um, so oh, I don't, interesting. Yeah, so a bit of recognition. Do you Ca- know? Yeah, well, I was so uh, only in that I've seen a lot of queer women wearing bandanas, but also like, um, is it like they call it like colour? Not colouring, it's where you wear like a specific bandana based on like what you're into sexually. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's what I'm going to talk about. Um, So yeah, I'm not talking about bandanas as like a kind of headgear item. Um, I'm talking about like the hanky code or flagging. That's it. Which is what it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which is, yeah, there's a kind of gay symbolism um, of wearing a colourful handkerchief uh, in your kind of back pocket, Mm -hmm, one's back pocket mm -hmm. traditionally. So there's there's a film clip... um, from uh, Cruising by uh, with Al Pacino in, I don't, I don't know if you've seen it. it. Where he, he basically goes to the market and he asks like, "Hey, what's up with all those uh, colourful bandanas?" And the guy tells him, and it kind of blows blows his uh, tiny mind. Um, you know, the gay agenda just kind of absolutely washes over him, and he kind yeah. of scuttles out and he's like, "Oh my god, I don't <laughs> goodness, know what to do. yeah, goodness." Uh, we should watch it, and it should be on the list. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so it's that, basically. I'm going to talk about that. Not only was uh, the kind of the co- is the colour of the handkerchief really important, but also, like, which side you wear it. So, like... Left pocket, so the, right pocket. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, the colour signifies the type of sex you are kind of interested in having, and particular kinks and fetishes that you're looking for, but also, like, the placement is, like, equally as vital um, in showing whether you're kind of... Like, not just, like, a top or a bottom, but whether you're, like, interested in that thing or wanting to give that thing okay okay so it's like giving like, receiving yeah dominant submissive yeah which exactly just as it's not as simple as top or bottom that sort of thing yeah yeah so like left would typically indicate like a more active part of the role and yep. right would be more um yeah more submissive or submissive or like those seeking like receiving um, desiring certain yeah, yeah, yeah. things looking um, for looking for yeah something yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah so kind of traditionally it'd be like left left for tops right for bottoms um or sometimes it could mean that you like weren't into something like at all so it's like no tweaking my nipples please yeah kind of thing. and like especially during the aids epidemic i think a lot of people were avoiding anal sex altogether mm, exactly and so you might be like anything but that. yeah exactly yeah. so it's like really specific and it's like a signifier that people can be like oh that person is yeah not looking for that at yeah. all or like or like they're on the same page as me exactly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's kind of this unspoken language um, yeah obviously we talked about um i talked about polari like way back in in like yeah so we've been finding ways to communicate without words for a long time yeah exactly so it's another kind of more visual uh, version of that really yeah yeah, um, yeah. and yeah but over the years like the hanky code uh, has adapted and there's like loads more um modern um additions that have gone into the hanky code since the kind of 70s when it uh, basically was really popular and so there's been like a few additions and alterations over the years but like it was originally popularized by sort of gay and bi men mm. in the kind of 1970s as a like a sexual code predominantly in the kind of leather and bdsm um kind of scenes um subculture scenes um and it became very like synonymous with queer masculinity so it was very much on the kind of mask uh spectrum mm. and you know having this band uh, an american as well like having this kind of bandana outside you know hanging out the back of your your jean pocket a pair of denim jeans like it was just this it was very like cinematic code. Mm. It was, it's it kind was, of like a it's got like quite a working man imagery. Yeah. You know, like you might I don't know, you work in the 
oil fields or something and you wipe your sweaty manly brow with your handkerchief and pop it back in your yeah, pocket with your, your black or red handkerchief Ooh. yeah so it was very yeah and it was it's it's in loads of like literary and, and cinematic um references um and it's just like this little bit of kind of queer culture that you know in the same way that polari kind of goes under the straight radar like you if you know it then you will you notice it and straight mm. people could kind of think oh yeah nice bandana but actually those who know know yeah that makes sense yeah yeah yeah. so yeah the, the hanky code is certainly adapted with the times um as an object um uh, it acts as a kind of you know, it's quite pivotal on the role on the timeline of um, queer and queer history and culture. So you've got uh, the black and white checkered handkerchief um, emerged in the early nineteen nineties, for example, which represents kind of like safe, safer sex as a fe- as a fetish, which especially around like the AIDS and um, HIV uh, epidemic, like it was very much like an awareness piece. So mm. it's sort of within the community, it's not just about like fetishes and preferences it also became like a kind of piece of like activism you know if you wore the the black and white um checkered handkerchief it was just say hey you know we're aware that be safe yeah be safe and 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 this is a practice that i'm you know i'm uh into and i'm seeking similar um vibes Uh, (laughs) similar vibes similar vibes safety yes please um so it became yeah it was a kind of an act yeah it's a queer object but also like a piece of activism um, within the community so basically it's like this kind of walking visual tinder bio yeah like uh it's it's for people who weren't using you know before the days of like location-based like apps like grinder like it's it's the kind of honest version of your tinder bio that is saying like actually uh these are you know my sexual preferences um yeah grinder for when your phone's dead i guess like hey i know what that means uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and it kind of lets your potential partners know what you're into uh, and like whether you're a top or bottom for instance like all those kind of really necessary things to know if you're having like a quick hookup yeah any, yeah, like, yeah. Surprises. it's very like very much key to the hookup culture is very quickly identifying if you're going to be sexually compatible yeah because if there's not if you're not in for in in it for anything else that's the one thing that's important. Yeah. Just yeah, knowing yeah. if it's going to work, if it's going to be mutually beneficial. Yeah, if time is of the essence. Then, yeah. Like, what are you into? What do you like? What are, What's a no-go area? Yeah. It's really good. And, like, it's been, because of that, it's been, like, um, there's been, like, a resurgence in, like, recent years. Um, that's interesting there's been a resurgence. Like, with all, with all kind of things, though, like, they just come back around, like, you know, yeah. Polari is, again, being used, and, you know, there's lots of, like... Um, linguistical traits that are kind of coming back in the community so it's, it's cool that um yeah the hanky code and, and flagging has actually kind of had a bit of a resurgence in recent years so i'm going to talk a little bit about like the commonplace uh history of these colorful bandanas mm-hmm. um so it's actually thought to date back to like the 19th uh mid 19th century oh, so really? when uh, you mentioned that? like uh, miners and, and cowboys mm. um these kind of very like American archetypes, you know, like railroad engineers, um, men's men, men's men, exactly. Like the kind of Western United States area, like people would wear them, um, you know, around their necks, but also, um, it was later adopted by gay, uh, gay and bisexual men as a kind of visual, uh, visual indication of their sexual desires. The visual polari is what I've written here. Mm. Yeah. So it's this very much like unspoken signifier. Um, and it was kind of, People were wearing them kind of in this like post gold rush California, particularly in San Francisco, which obviously has a really rich queer history. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the California gold rush was basically like an economic boom mm-hmm. um, as a result of a kind of feverish discovery of gold. Yeah, um, yeah, as the name uh, <laughs> indicates, uh, which began in uh, 19, uh, 1848 um, and brought in approximately three hundred thousand people into the kind of Chicago area over the course of um, the gold rush, which was about like lasted about seven years Gosh. so suddenly all of these people were arriving in california being like hey gold we heard about it we want mm. we want i that. want some yeah i want a bit of that i want my american dream you know there was a huge influx of uh, like particularly kind of single men and actually there was a quite like disproportionate amount of single men arriving in the area which brought with them a kind of certain level of like experimental lawlessness basically so Horny singles looking for uh, lawless fun yeah, any, and uh, a fortune. Any port in a storm. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, San Francisco was very much a kind of yeah, a bit of had a history of being a bit of a port town, and there was lots of like temporary accommodation, lots of boarding, and uh, you know, cheap boarding and and single rooms, and you know, it was very transitory. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm. Uh... <laughs> but it was, it was. So you get the kind of picture. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very, you know. 
two ships meeting in the night. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. In um, the straitjacket, I've uh, been listening to the audiobook at the moment, and he talks about how, as he, uh, the author, Matthew Todd, talks about how, um, as a young boy in an all-boys school, there was lots of experimentation, lots of gay experimentation, that he later, to his disappointment, found out they were just straight boys experimenting. Mm. Or, because there was no girls around, they were just doing things that just, felt good. Yeah. Um, so it might not be like some it might not be somebody who was they might not necessarily be gay or bisexual but they or femme but they might be kind of playing the role because of a lack of or a disproportionate lack of women you know it's not that there weren't women in California it's just mm. that there were so many men there were the just time. so many men yeah and that doesn't yes it doesn't necessarily mean that they were gay or bi because they were doing it but that does mean that there was an opportunity for a lot of people who didn't realize they were gay to realize that maybe they really liked it yeah exactly so like so in the area there were loads of um saloons and like drinking taverns uh which kind of developed into dance halls and uh like just cheap brothels and bars um and yeah a lot of the kind of male population who had uh, immigrated to california were, were working men you know working in the mines um who were renting rooms like in kind of boarding houses you know lots of people living under the same roof on top of each other sometimes literally mm. um and you know there was lots of these kind of bars and taverns were seen as like second homes there were places to drink and 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 meet other people other men other you know and socialize um you know eat and yeah they were really um sociable places they kind of upheld this like work a lot of working class values a lot of kind of yeah the kind of the values of the kind of immigrants who would frequent them as well mm. um so it was a place yeah where people felt kind of uh, seen and understood and basically by kind of 1890 like san francisco was just overrun with saloons like there was like a bar for every 19 residents or something like oh that so it was just like a huge proportion of, yeah, of yeah, bars yeah. um in the area and it was apparently the highest po- uh, proportion of bars per number of residents even higher than chicago and new york wow. which is like you know those are huge cities yeah, yeah, yeah. um so it's this very concentrated area of, of bars you know you can't walk I don't know, 100 yards before you stumble into a saloon, like in a very kind of cartoon. Did saloons serve food? Some of them did, yeah. Yeah, some of them did. So, like, it would be like saloons would be kind of eating and drinking, and then like taverns, I think, were just liquor. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just I was thinking about the, uh, the role of men and women at that time is that like maybe these guys also didn't know how to cook and so they'd have to go out to a saloon. Yeah, so I mean, you if need you're to a, have enough to support. Everyone. Yeah, if you're in a kind of boarding house, I think the idea is that somebody is there is a domestic person ah, you know, yeah, cooking yeah. and there is you know at least access to if you're working you just you know you need access to quick cheap food and somewhere to unwind yeah like socially and like the police apparently were quite blasé about um you know about the amount of like gambling and booze and sex and kind of prostitution that was kind of flowing through the city like this san francisco became this kind of city of kind of like known for like had a reputation for freedom and and vice and like people you know getting what they needed needs being met yeah and it was very temporary so it was hard to kind of curb the you know crime because people would be kind of gone yeah come and going but it also meant that you know these kind of uh, sexual behavior and, and queerness as a result kind of really flourished at the time which is really cool and it kind of it's these were kind of laying the, you know, it's a perfect setup for bachelors being in this kind of port town, you know, and it was the kind of foundations of San Fran's rich queer history, which yeah, is still yeah. very much, you know, vibrant today. Yeah, it be kind of became popular for, like, this kind of pleasure-seeking, um, act, you know, ple- pleasure-seeking activities and just, like, a concentrated area of, like, unattached, horny men, basically. It's <laughs> cool. what I understand. Cool. It's kind of, so that's, like, turn of the century. <laughs> yeah. Horny men gather. Yeah. They were there, and they were also drinking, so, you know, lowered inhibitions. You know, yeah. what's going to happen is going to happen. Yeah, so these, like, traditional gender roles were just, you know, people were just a lot more open and fluid, like... Yeah, and if you're away from your family, or if you're away from home, there is a freedom in a new city. Yeah, and, like, they sort of made up for... So, obviously, there was this quite traditional... The gender kind of roles were still quite traditional, but the community were kind of making adjustments because of the disproportionate amount of men at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is where the handkerchief comes in. Um, Okay. So in the late 1800s, like, there was a lot of, like, uh, public kind of dance events or dance events in squares particularly. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was kind of, you know, there was a lot of early cross-dressing and kind of gender bending where men would kind of don either a red or a blue bandana 
uh, to indicate which role they were dancing. Mm-hmm. So because what because they were doing pair dances. Yeah, like, so you'd would, have to have a man and a woman. As yeah, a, because who would like who would lead and yeah, who would follow? Yeah. Um, so traditionally that was you know very like male or female, but mm. the lead role would wear uh, would wear red. No, sorry. Um, the lead role would wear blue, okay. and the and the kind of person playing the woman would wear uh, red. Okay. Okay. Got it. Okay, so then this kind of grew into a more like open form of kind of gender expression and became a bit, you know, a bit of a performance where like many of the workers would wear, would experiment with their appearance outside of the square dances and, yeah. you know, outside of dance halls and, and kind of take, expand into their kind of domestic duties like in other social circles and, you know, maybe even at home and, you know, people were able to kind of express their gender in many different ways outside of you know because they had the permission in these kind of dance scenarios yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah so like but jump forward to like the modern hanky code and like red would traditionally mean like a desire for fisting so oh. like it's, it goes very much it goes, gosh it's changed so it's like a huge you know a bit, yeah. of a, a bit of a leap you know that escalated quickly it's like oh i'm dancing a female part and then suddenly i'm a absolute bottom and <laughs> please yeah fist me anyway um, so, by the kind of 1970s, <laughs> to make you deeply uncomfortable, <laughs> um, I should have put a kind of uh, a warning at the, uh, at the beginning of this episode. From furries to fisting, here just, we go. I just didn't know that was going to happen today. <laughs> well, anyway, gonna, I'm on. not going to go into it anymore. Okay. Um, so, by the 1970s, sex uh, shops in San Francisco were known for selling this like array of brightly coloured um, handkerchiefs, along with uh, like extensive instruction cards. Nice. Um, for their individual identification. Cause... Good, because I wasn't. I was like, how you, how do you know? Yeah, but red handkerchiefs are everywhere. Like if you go down Camden Market, like bandanas. Usually they're sold in red. I mean, H and M sells red bandanas, and you're like, do you know what you're getting into? Well, well now I know do, now, but I didn't know before. Don't wear a red handkerchief. Okay. Unless... I can't pull off a bandana anyway, so that's not going to happen. But yeah, red is like the traditional red and blue, uh, mm. like the ones you see in I don't know, fucking uh, Levi's adverts. I thought you were going to say little, but uh... no. <laughs> no. Yeah, you see a red bandana. I mean, Bruce Springsteen in the cover of um, Born in the USA, like, has a red hat. A red cap hanging out of his butt, hanging out of his jean. Do you know his denim jean pocket? And it's like you are treading on very thin ice, Bruce. Yeah, that Bruce. is very close to being a red bandana worn on the right. Anyway, um, <laughs> maybe maybe he is into it. Anyway, whatever. So rumor has it that the, uh, the first circulation of the hanky code, from a retail perspective, was out of Leather and Things shop in uh, 1972, uh, where the shop's uh, bandana order accidentally um, doubled. And so the business were like, okay, shit, what are we going to do with all these bandanas? So they decided to formally kind of expand the hanky code in order to sell the additional colours. And the shop printed uh, the expanded code and sold it alongside a wide selection of bandanas. Um, And it was a kind of small wallet-sized booklet which customers would receive when purchasing a bandana. So, you know, don't say they didn't warn you. So Mm, you you can't be caught, like, unawares, basically. Like, no, no, I just love this colour. And they gave me the strange, uh, not at all useful, like, menu, as it were. Yeah, I love hot pink, regardless of dildos or whatever it is that they... (laughs) Apparently it means I love... But yeah, the the important yeah the the hanky code is like quite uh, important on the on the timeline of of queer history because it not only uh, it kind of masks uh, marks like an unspoken you know channel of communication that queer people uh, depended on like during difficult times in the same way that Polari was uh, like almost undetectable means of uh, visibility afforded to kind of gay and bisexual men to prevent basically being publicly outed and the the hanky code like. It kind of encapsulates that, but it's also like it represents, you know, sex positivity um, and like an openness within, you know, within the queer community. There's, yeah, this kind of determination to kind of connect um, and and, and thrive through adversity, Um, because I think as soon as you become kind of ashamed and like silenced and invisible, that's when, you know, the community kind of breaks down. Whereas having these like signifiers, it was it was very shame, shameless, Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, and if you see, if you're walking around town and you're noticing other people with hankies in, you notice that you are not alone Yeah. as well. So there's like a, a kind of forming of a community through unspoken, like, connections. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And it, it does, it kind of strengthens it, because even if you just, you know, if I see another visibly queer couple walking down the street, I, I kind of, you know, there is a nice kind of smile, you know, you don't have to make a big song and dance about it but it's like knowing that picking up on the signals and knowing that people out there do exist who are you know who are like you 
Mm. So there's this uh, this illustrator and activist who I um, found called Andy Simmons, uh, who has who has kind of created this very detailed series uh, dedicated to the Hanky Code, which includes a lot a lot of the kind of modern uh, additions to the code, such as uh, Red Gingham, which is for kind of park sex or like okay. outdoor sex. What's Gingham? Gingham is like the kind of red and white checkered. Oh um, yeah, like get... a picnic blanket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, um, sort of, I was about, you know, sort of Dorothy esque, I guess. Yeah, yeah like... she was in blue. Anyway, maybe that indicates something about her. You can look into it as much as you want. Lime green, uh, which is either looking for dinner or will buy dinner, depending oh. on what side, uh, which side the hanky is worn. And sex, or is it just like take me on a date? It could just be take you take me on a date, please. That's uh, nice. So maybe I would just start wearing a lime green uh, hanky when I. I would like to be bought dinner yeah. at all if times. Would please. Like to, if a gorgeous queer would like to buy me dinner, I'm here. Yeah. La- uh, lavender is uh, for uh, drag queens or, or drag queen chases, and uh, yellow is for uh, water sports, which I'm sure you can decipher on your own. Um, anyway, it's quite an extensive list. Uh, like, uh, there's also brown corduroy, which is like a kind of headmaster student. What dynamic? Um, How very niche! I know. So it's yeah, it's, it's really expanded. It's not just like red, white, pink, whatever. Um, leopard- yeah. So the material now is important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, textured. I always thought that because brown was always scat. Like, yeah. Pouple. Pouple. Exactly. <laughs> but corduroy indicates this whole level of sophistication, which. Yeah. <laughs> complexity you it might is. say it's nuanced it's yeah. extremely nuanced um this is much more like the modern code um uh, leopard print uh if if you're especially into tattoos oh okay yeah you wasn't were, sure where that was you going were like oh my god please, what's this gonna be zookeepers keep your hats on <laughs> uh one of my favorites which is um a, a teddy bear pattern uh which just means that you like cuddles oh it's nice isn't it or that you are an aggressive cuddler maybe cuddler like aggressive cuddler in like, the I will cuddle you. you I'm gonna, you'll, you might feel suffocated or just like you don't have a choice. I think it's more just like I like to cuddle and I will. I need cuddles. Yeah, maybe it's like the big spoon, like vibe. I don't know. But that would be like left or right then. If it was like I want to be the big spoon, I want to yeah, yeah, give yeah. the hugs. Like I will cuddle you and you can't get away from it. Like there's yeah. no like hump and run. It's we're gonna have cuddles after yeah. that. Like kind of thing. It's a part of the agreement exactly yeah so you know so also like uh so for specifically kind of for lesbians um a similar code um was happening uh, but in the form of keys ah yeah um like like a huge string of kind of jailer keys that hung from your belt uh waistband or your kind of front pockets Mm -hmm. um i run okay unironically i actually do carry a phenomenal amount of keys um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on my like rainbow lanyard uh which i didn't realize was i feel like the rainbow lanyard is probably the bigger clue (laughs) yeah much bigger yeah some would say it's excessive Um, no no, my strength my straight friends would say it's excessive well no but now i'm sort of as i'm like as i was doing this research i was like oh my god it all makes sense of course i have hundreds of keys apparently i'm like signaling all over the place ring of keys is that song yeah my straight friends uh recently nicknamed me uh, the janitor which, um, very fun yeah yeah our idea. friend yaz talked to me once about doing a drag king act yeah. entirely based around the uh carabiner for the uh-huh. key signaling yeah. and making a whole top out of tiny carabiners and yes. everything and i was just like that's that's amazing absolutely so amazing good. well like, i do you know i do need them all i do need keys i do need all those keys at once like if i was if i need to go to my mum's shed via the back gate and also lug my bike up. Like, I need all those keys. That's like four keys I need. You'd, as I'm well not, as my keys. Daisy, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you don't. But it's also, okay. So you did mention Fun Home. <laughs> um, so yeah, in the, in the musical, see, there's that kind of moment where uh, she finds, uh, she sees like one of the first kind of queer coded characters in her childhood. And it's like, it's because uh, she has like a huge ring of keys uh, attached. Um, have you seen the musical? I've not seen the musical. Just I've read, read the thing, but I've also heard that song. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon? Probably from me. No, no, no. I heard it long before. Um, it was on a podcast. I think it, I think it was Nancy podcast, actually, uh, which is really great. Another queer podcast. But yeah, she sees this this kind of butch DIY store, hardware store yeah, yeah, yeah. person with a big carabiner of keys and is like, that's it. That's what I want to be. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, and it's this moment of realisation that, but I think it's really important that um, they mention it in Fun Home, uh, that they mention the Ring of Keys as a, as a queer object, as a queer signifier. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, um, yeah, that's the kind of a, the lesbian equivalent of the, the handkerchief. Yeah, it's a visual, uh, visual like, expression, like, in the, in the brand book of uh, being a gay, like, the handkerchiefs and the, and the key rings, um, big jangly keychains are kind of the big staples, like, they're the two 
signifiers for kind of the lesbian and the and the gay communities uh, to use. So like generally, if you're in the the leather scene, um, where you kind of you know you clip your keys to like your belt loops, it would kind of announce whether you know where you clipped them would announce whether you're a top or a bottom. But like the belt loop key system is quite limited, um, whereas the the uh, the hanky code is is endless really yeah it's much more nuanced um and you can really specify like your your preferences um you can be really uh like upfront basically um about your your preferences in the bedroom like there's no uh no surprises you know if somebody is into cuddling it's like you've had sufficient warning like you saw the teddy bears like come on and it also like the tanky code kind of transcends any kind of embarrassment um that might come with a casual hookup um mm. you know or uh, like especially anonymous hookups i guess like because i wonder how, like how many people actually read a grinder bio like or how, how many people include their sexual preferences or feel confident enough to include their preferences on their bio i mean i don't yeah i don't do online dating but if i did like how how much reading are you really going to do if somebody is like in your area looking for a hookup so actually i think you know the hanky code would improve like the quality um of the experience by immediately knowing what your partner is like looking for and knowing whether that was you or not and you can just be like yeah your name mm. um, I, think, I think there is quite a lot of information given on grinder in terms of preferences yeah although maybe not as maybe much you as you can get like well i don't know because you can i think you can also filter by it okay on on grinder anyway, i actually don't know it's changed time. apparently it's changed a lot though recently like in the last i don't know five years or something like queer women can use it now and, yeah. and like uh, straight people can use it now just feels entirely wrong but yeah <laughs> i think there is quite a lot of information given but i know what you mean if it was just like all there in one it's just a, it's just an image mm. the hanky isn't it and you just automatically know what it means you don't have to read anything you don't yeah. have to take the well, time you have to read your little book <laughs> oh yeah you to get, sure. get the menu out yeah but like so that, yeah the, the key home is um the key home the the keychain <laughs> in fun home is a really good example um because it refers it's used by quite um you know yeah quite a butch character um lace up boots baggy trousers and this like big fuck off ring of ring our keys yeah but like what are, it kind of pulls into question like what are the visual identifiers for like fems for example you know because like surely a kind of a bright bandana or, or a bunch of keys clipped to your belt is quite a statement it's quite an obvious um you know attention yeah and it might not go with your style yeah exactly like what if you're yeah super firm or super i don't know too subtle to wear a massive ring of keys like if you have a dress i don't know whatever only where kind are you of, gonna clip it if you've got a dress on? Yeah, where are you gonna clip it if you if you're not already wearing like your denim? Like if you have a where do you put your hanky? Where do you put your keys? So apparently there is like um, a more kind of discreet code to kind of counteract this kind of femme invisibility that yeah. um, that happens. You know, it's a bit of a problem in the queer community. Um, so this other system has been a- adopted where you can paint your fingernails, mm. which you might have seen. You can paint your uh, your ring finger or the fingernail on your kind of right and middle fingers. Um, so ring and middle fingers on either side, which, you know, it, it does also, it's parallel to the, the, the handkerchief colours. So it's still using those kind of traditional colours, um, but it's just on your fingers instead of yeah. in your back pocket. You just have to have, oh no, wait. I was thinking you'd have to have so many different kinds of nail polish, but you just get the one for you. Yes, yeah, I, got, I got there <laughs> yeah. in the end. You just wear what you're... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, like... It's been a long day. It's been a long day. So if you were, like, yeah, if you were a femme person with a kind of pink, glittery manicure, it might indicate that you are a femme person looking for another femme person. Yeah. Uh, or, like, one grey painted nail might indicate an interest in bondage. Does it? maybe yeah yeah okay black is like bdsm i think and then um gray is kind of more like it's bondage i mean try and get gingham into your tiny little yeah that's very niche corduroy on your oh my god corduroy no you'd have to do it the day before and then another anyway (laughs) but so there's always like a bit of a danger like when fashion trends are like adopted by straight people like i've seen i've seen lots of people who just paint one nail or one or two nails because it's kind of because it looks yeah it looks kitschy it is kitschy but and they, <laughs> they take all of our fashion statements like the big boots and the yeah. other things that we've talked about that i can't remember immediately right now big boots certain hairstyles the undercut yeah, the, the undercut the purely, short hair yeah it's purely aesthetic boys clothes boys clothes like 
Kate Blanchett in a suit and it's like you're still married to a man though it's and you're such a gay icon it's mm. just so upsetting anyway I love Kate Blanchett and I'll, I'll hear not a bad word said about her um, you just did you just did that I didn't know she said she dabbled she dabbled yeah so in the same way that like yeah the like the lingo from like the ballrooms um yeah, yeah. has been adopted into pop culture now um you know so someone shouting like yes queen it, it could very well be from like James Corden and not a drag queen so oh my god yeah like, you know, my colleague that thought it was a northern thing instead yeah. of a drag thing. I was like, you how? Yeah. How? Stay away from my business. <laughs> Get away from me. Um, you've also got things like uh, ace rings, which represent uh, the asexual community. Yep. Uh, plain back ring, uh, worn usually worn on the middle finger of the right hand, which is, um, yeah, not only, like, a symbol of visibility for the asexual community, but, like, it serves as this kind of reminder that, you know, within the queer community that, like, ace folk are there and you know not alone and there are other people you know it's a very it's very much a symbol of positivity and visibility mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, which is nice yeah so there we go uh yeah that's a kind of brief history of the hanky code and um other queer uh, signifiers so nowadays like modern queers especially especially in the leather and bdsm scenes uh, they'll still use hanky the hanky code um as a kind of conversation starter like it's it's seen as quite a so it's more like an opening piece now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, it's sort of seen as this like a sophisticated way of um, acknowledging like queer history as well as like sex positive behaviour. Yeah. Um, openness and, and consent. Yeah, this kind of coded non-verbal language, like designed for kink and for fetish, but, um, you know, in a way that doesn't like judge or discriminate necessarily. I, I also read about this like art collective that was called uh, De Kraken, Kranken, uh, which literally means the havoc. Which is a great name for Whoa. art collective, uh, and they've designed uh, the new rules for flagging. So, which kind of captures the kind of resurgence of flagging in the queer community, but also includes like a range of genders and sexual orientations. Mm. Like, it's really specific, and it's more, it's like much more inclusive of um, like gender fluid, gender queer, trans, um, and even like polyamorous identities. So yeah, go look them up, um, Decranken, and they they even include um, bandanas for like the app generation. Uh, so, you know, people who might find their sexual partners like exclusively through location-based apps um, and it's kind of a grey handkerchief with lots of little pictures of apps and uh, they're all, I mean, they're all like beautiful kind of art pieces within themselves. Yeah, yeah. And there's a flag for um, original plumbing, uh, which seems to like relate to a kind of trans mask quarterly like literary magazine. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'll, dro I'll drop all the, the links to all of these because um, they're super detailed and, and really beautiful and like all unlock a kind of... Uh, you know, a link to like a very specific group within the queer community, you know, whether it's uh, an arts collective or whether it's a safer sex trans led discussion forum, like you name it, there's there's Gosh. probably a plaque. Yeah, yeah, for... yeah. That's amazing. That's so good. Yeah, there was so much, yeah, so much out there. And uh, it's really interesting to see the kind of the differences between the traditional hanky code, which is still pretty like extensive as a list, but also, yeah. you know, these new art collectives who are um, making these really beautiful pieces of fabric that uh you know if you saw it and you were in the you know you have to be in the know because you'd be like what the hell is all these little you might think it's like polka dots but actually they're apps and that's mm. a very specific kind of sexual interest yeah um anyway so that's a little bit of a little bit of history about the hanky code and like where it came from and um if you see handkerchiefs poking out of the pockets of your mates maybe they're into Maybe they're into cuddling, aggressive cuddling. Aggressive or, um, cuddling. Yeah, thank you so much, Daisy. That was welcome. really great. I've got a slightly more pop culture-y okay. episode for you today. I'm going to be talking to you about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes! Did you know? <laughs> no, I didn't. Okay, good, good, good. I, I fucking love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Now, is it iconic queer TV or was it just the best that we had at the time? It's a big, it's a big question, you know? Mm, because big questions. these things can really stick with us for a long time after they've made an impact and we see them in this kind of like rose-tinted, spectacled kind of way, like, no, it was amazing, but actually it was just all we had, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> now, I've always found this show to be popular with queer people, particularly queer women. Mm -hmm. uh, do you, did you watch it? Have you watched it? What's your feeling? I wasn't like a super Buffy fan, um, but I definitely, yeah, I definitely see, all, yeah, was very aware of all the queer references and a lot of queer coding, like, within it. I definitely think it's unavoidable, like, inescapably queer coded. You know, there is, there's a couple of, like, scenes, isn't there? There's a couple of, like... There's a couple of things going on. Things. All the kind of, and also all the people I knew from 
yeah school and and university who were into Buffy were like also yeah super I don't know either not straight or very very on the yeah queer code non themselves yeah, yeah non-conforming exactly good right so I'm on the right path then yes so for those who aren't uh, familiar uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a TV se- series uh, which was created by Joss Whedon uh, who eventually um, would go on to write, like, the, he re- wrote and directed 2012's Avengers. Uh, he's a very oh, successful okay. man. Um, but Buffy ran from uh, 1997 until 2003, and it was critically acclaimed. Um, Emily Nussbaum, uh, who was a famous TV critic uh, in 1999, said that it was um, t- marked a turning point for television. That 1999 was, like, the height of its powers. It was in its third season. It yeah, was doing yeah. really well. And it changed, apparently it changed the landscape of the teen soap opera from being like quite a superficial, very bland storytelling where people's emotions would be like up and down and up and down to something a lot deeper um, with lots more um, relatable situations as well as a very tragic emotional stories mm. that people could relate to and, and really feel for the characters. That being said, though, it is sci-fi. It's a yeah. horror, relatable science fiction like based in a hell school. Uh, <laughs> was it aimed at teenagers? No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 it was. And the series narrative follows Buffy Summers of the title Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and it's played by Sarah Michelle Gellar. And um, she, Buffy, is the latest in a long line of women, young women who are the Vampire Slayer, or simply just the Slayer. So she's she's the chosen one. Um, fate decided that she would be granted these superpowers, super strength, super reflexes, um, and she has to use those powers to fight demons, vampires, and other forces of darkness. Yeah. Whedon described his uh, reason for creating Buffy in the way that he did was because he was so accustomed to watching uh, horror films and sci-fi and things like that, thrillers where the young, pretty petite blonde would just die she would you know she's um ditzy clumsy would die immediately and buffy although she is small blonde and beautiful she also has this supernatural strength incredible reflexes she's very witty she's smart and above all else she is the hero and she survives she kicks ass all over the place buffy spends a lot of her time like patrolling the graveyard and she has a guide trainer who is the intensely british uh rupert giles and she has a couple of very good friends who stay with her throughout the whole um seven seasons i Mm. think um, Xander, who I, who is quite clearly an author surrogate, yeah. uh, a way for Joss to write himself into the show, and mm-hmm. Willow, who is this really sweet nerd, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and there's other people that come in and out. Okay, so uh, on the surface, like the idea as a whole is not to be a queer TV show. At the time, you know, in the 90s and very early 2000s, it wasn't really super okay to have anyone gay on tv Mm. and if you did they would have to not be treated favorably basically Mm. because of the way that section 28 and things like that worked an influence on everything in and not just school um so i'm going to talk about just like the show as a whole what's queer in it what we can read as queer that sort of thing and just like it's kind of legacy it's been praised for like for having very strong very complex and intricate female leads um that don't have to be supported by a male counterpart or something yeah. like that and the female uh, the leads have this emotional intellectual depth they're flawed yeah. which is you know a nice bit of depth and um, 3d <laughs> yeah they're 3d people and they're so they're strong female characters in the sense of good writing and complexity not strong in the sense of just kicking things all the time which is what a lot of people think a strong female character is Although Buffy does spend a lot of time kicking things. Um, <laughs> well-rounded. Well-rounded, indeed. <laughs> it's also genuinely engaging. It's episodic, so you can like just catch one episode every now and then, which is what I used to do. I never knew when it was on. Yeah. I could never work it out. Was it on like after Scrubs or <gasps> sometime around the kind of Simpsons Scrubs? Yeah, like... it was like at some point in there. And I think it might have been on a channel that I didn't really get mm. as a kid. And so I, I could never work out when it was going to be it's on. on a funky time, like half six or something, which was definitely when I was not allowed to be anywhere near yeah. <laughs> TV. Or like someone else would have a better idea of what should be on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not only is each episode quite like engaging, well-rounded, there's a really good, really strong narrative from the first episode to the very last episode in the finale. Like the mm-hmm. characters really grow, the the story changes, but it still really keeps its core, core like idea that Buffy is a vampire slayer and she has this destiny that she has to fulfill. There's a lot lot of parallels which make it like a very generalised kind of coming of age show using lots of metaphors 
through the supernatural. So, for example, there's a character called Oz who it turns into a werewolf. So there's, you know, unexpected body hair, yeah, you know, testosterone, yeah, yeah. puberty. Uh, Willow struggles with addiction. She's addicted addicted to magic. And uh, Dawn, who is Buffy's little sister, um, struggles with feeling real, a, fe- a sensation of feeling re- real. Am I real? And that's kind of, you know, can kind of equate that to uh, depression, things mm. like that. Buffy herself, Buffy the Slayer, she realises that she has this true identity, a calling, something inborn, and she feels she has to hide her identity, she has to hide who she truly is, that she is different to everybody else, and she comes out first to her friends, and then later to her mum, who ultimately takes it very badly, and Mm -hmm. says, you know, like, well, have you tried just not being the Slayer? That sort of thing, and that's a phrase that lots of people have heard, have you tried looking less gay? And her mum ultimately kicks her out as a result of it which is also not unfamiliar yeah so that's quite a relatable burden yeah very familiar storyline yeah Yeah, a lot of um queer youth spend time homeless because of um because of being queer um back to buffy uh she doesn't want to be the slayer she wishes she just wants to be a normal teenager like everybody else and she tries for a while to not be the slayer you know um she never chose to be the way that she was it was decided for her and she in an episode called prophecy girl basically she finds out that her her destiny is that she is destined to die in this particular in a particular fight and so she just says well no i'm just not going to do that then and she tries to quit but ultimately her fate and her birthright overcome her her attempt to yeah and so there's that angle there's a metaphorical like be who you are you cannot escape your truth kind of angle the story of a person coming to terms with the fact that she was born different having to make a choice about whether to resist in order to have a normal life Mm. or to keep fighting for her own survival sound familiar yeah yeah (laughs) yeah so there's also another queer element around there's a, a huge part of the show is about chosen family yeah okay something we've talked about a lot on the show yes, you know yeah. buffy lives actually alone with her mum for most of the show's run but we barely see joyce her mum and for the most part uh, and when she does it's you know it's fraught with conflict her mum doesn't approve of mm-hmm. her slayer lifestyle uh, so instead buffy gather- gathers around her friends her watcher giles and they understand her unlike anybody else yeah people who get her yeah yep they go through her the struggles with her and they actively support her journey um, so although she's open about her da- identity with the chosen family, it takes time for her to be able to come out to others who are important to her, her mum. Then, other queer things. We have Faith. Do you remember Faith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Faith was very queer-coded. She wears cool leather trousers. She's yes. got, like, tattoos. Quite a lot of masculine traits in the way that she, like, walks and talks. She's a bit like Sporty Spice. Yeah. <laughs> who was also, like, you know, so rumoured to be gay and also attempted to make some kind of gay um, publicity thing. Yeah. that I remember but she's kind of brash and yeah so Faith is quite butch you'd say there's quite a lot of queer coding and she is like Buffy but she's not like but she's like Buffy because she's not like anybody else because mm-hmm. she is also a slayer she's born different from anybody else and also because of the way that the narrative works there's never supposed to be more than one slayer active at the time okay. so they never expect her to meet anybody else like them mm. okay so for all intents and purposes it's a real shock when they meet each other they'd be like oh my god i'm not alone yeah 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 and faith lives this kind of like solitary life she's got no family she's got no friends she lives on her own and so buffy envies faith for her independence you yeah. know she talks she talks about it like you know nothing's a big deal everything's fine but faith envies buffy's kind of stability and normality um because it's something that she's never had yeah yeah, yeah. and queer coded implications uh, notwithstanding there's also a very complicated tension between them because mm-hmm. of that being similar but being so different at the same time they have the same inborn traits that they have ex- they've experienced such different realities yep themes and topics exactly but uh, this mutual fascination between them often manifests in those kind of tropey on-screen <laughs> fights where you're like do they just need to bang like is yeah. that what this is like Get is this a metaphor system. for sex yeah <laughs> um and at the end of one of these fights faith gives buffy a cheeky little kiss on the forehead and sort of like giggles in it like not giggles but like sort of laughs in her face and runs away and buffy's left like what just happened that? <laughs> um oh my god such a move it's such a move and i think faith is like scary sexy mm. um yeah yeah it was a very confusing time for me. Um, <laughs> and there's all... There's, okay, so there's... Scary, a, sexy. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I know. There's actually one storyline that's sometimes referenced 
there's a hell goddess who is imprisoned in a mortal male body. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's an article I've read in Digital Spy who talked about how this pairing of a, a female goddess yeah. trapped inside a, a male mortal body is often read as a metaphor for drag, but it's actually... Is that like transphobic, though? Well, okay. it's, so they said it's actually quite, quite a lot more yeah, complex yeah, okay. than that, is that because glory isn't... Glory is the goddess. Glory is such a, like... Gay. It's such name. a drag name. It's as such well. a drag name, yeah. And and the character Glory is quite like she's kind of over the top with femininity. But Glory isn't just a persona of Ben. Glory is a person or like a, an entity mm. that has been imprisoned inside Ben's body. And Digital Spy makes a comparison here to the journey that some trans people go through with the feeling of being in the wrong body. Now, not every trans person yeah. describes it as that, but some people do describe it as feeling trapped in the wrong body. It is quite limited it's not played over a, a many a huge number of um seasons or anything i think it's just within one season mm. that glory and ben are there okay so getting towards the genuine queerness now okay okay uh <laughs> cute and quirky willow who mm. is actually canonically queer so willow is this very sweet very kind of like timid to begin with ginger nerd yeah and i love her so she always, she's she always the actress who plays her is always the nerd. She's always the nerd. She's in like American Pie. She's the nerd. She's, she's in... the band camp, ner- band camp nerd in American Pie. Okay. Yes, she is. And so she, at the in the early on in the um, show, she has a very meaningful relationship with Oz the Werewolf Boy. Uh-huh. And she also is seen really doting on Xander, yeah. Buffy's other friend. Re- like, really is into these two guys. Um, and then she meets her be girlfriend, Tara. Mm. Okay, and then she comes out as gay. So I've got friends that, who say that actually Willow is probably much more bi than gay, but because of the time uh, it was on TV, it was too complex and too, too shocking to be bi. So yeah. they were just like, okay, now she's, one, she's yeah. gay. But actually to describe her as that, some people say that to describe her as gay is to completely negate the importance of her early relationship with Oz. Mm, but then also you can have had meaningful relationships with someone of the opposite sex and still identify as gay later on in life. Uh, anyway, Willow is a witch. She's into magic. I talked about her addiction to magic. She mm. meets Tara through the school witch club. Very sweet. Yes. It's not a terribly explicit relationship on screen. They kind of very tentatively hold hands, make eye contact, longing eye con- contact over the tables, but the, the feelings are there and you can you know they're together. And there's something very relatable to queer people in terms of like trying to have a subtle relationship, mm-hmm. trying not to be too out there. And it, you know the secretive nature yeah. is something that we, m- almost all of us yeah, can just, relate to. Yeah, discreet. Yeah. Because there's, there's all this narrative about like, oh, just don't push it in my face, that sort of thing. And it makes us feel like we have to just really rein any form of affection in. Yeah. Even if it's just holding hands. Um, their relationship is explored through the metaphor of magic. Um, and they grow closer and closer until Tara says, sort of semi-cryptically, but quite sweetly, she says, I am, you know, yours to uh to willow and that's it that's the whole extent of the kind of naming of the relationship but it's that's kind of just how they are yeah um that's so romantic though (laughs) it's so sweet and they share their first kiss in an episode where buffy's mum's funeral is okay so the episode's really interesting it's it's there's no soundscape no sorry there's no music track in the background so it's all it feels so quiet and so silent the whole episode and willow's very upset and Tara kisses her to comfort her and it's a very tender kind of caring moment Mm. rather than being like romantic or raunchy and I think that that choice was very carefully made in order to not make it a kind of fetish thing I don't not a fetish thing but like it it makes it more about the relationship rather than the sex yeah it's not sexualized at all it's yeah, it's about the genuine sort of, yeah, care and, and support and... And comfort there. Comfort and closeness, yeah. And, like, Willow and Tara are just iconic, you know. I, I didn't like Tara that much. I think I was a bit jealous. But they are a really good couple. Um, they go through a lot together. So Willow's played by Alison Hannigan, who is, you know, in American Pie, and Tara's played by Amber, ben- Amber Benson. And on screen, they have a really, really good chemistry. Mm. So they actually play it really well. It doesn't, it does make a difference having two actors that get on well, because yeah. we've all seen terrible, terrible films where people are trying to make it look like they're into each other and you just know that it's not yeah. doing it for anyone. 
There's um in the musical episode, Once More with Feeling. Yes, it's a musical episode. It's amazing. Don't think I've seen that one. Oh my god, it's so good. Uh, there's a demon that comes into town that makes everyone sing everything that they mean. Uh, and there's a pretty obvious moment where Willow and Tara scamper off home to have sex instead of helping with the research to find out what this demon's all about. <laughs> We're going to do our research at home. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, it, their song ends in You Make Me Complete as Willow is going down on Tara. Okay, and Tara's kind of floating in the air. Um, so this is episodic, and I can just tune into that. Yeah, one. you can just find that. Own, so yeah. it's really great. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's one of my favourite uh, episodes of the series. Anyway, sadly, comes bury your gaze. Of course, no. it was never going to last. Um, talked about bury your gaze before. It's a very important and very annoying trope in TV and film. Tara is killed off. Um, by one of the many baddies and demons Mm -hmm. in the show. And this leaves Willow on absolute storming rampage. She becomes addicted to to magic that gives her this rush, and she's just full of fury. Mm, Dark magic and just the bad thing. Just like going to dodgy places to get darker books, Mm. texts, things to learn about cursing, things to learn about magic for bad reasons, hurting others, that sort of thing. She was never in any way interested in hurting others before. Now, addiction is really important in the queer community. Many people can relate to using substances to kind of numb Mm. the pain, the shame. It wasn't talked about very much during the time that Buffy was airing, but um, the queer community, especially the gay male community, has has a long history of trouble with addiction, drugs, alcohol abuse. And there's quite a lot about this in The Straitjacket, which I mentioned earlier. Matthew Todd talks about the society's legacy of gay shame resulting in the need to numb, Mm. you know. Mm. Thankfully, though, we do see Willow go through a journey of rehabilitation. She She begins to heal and to find herself again, but she has to step away from magic for a while, keep away from the scene, let's say, the things that trigger you. Mm. And she finally does find love again, though her uh, her new love is is a lot more tepid than her love for Tara. Obviously, Tara was a really big part of her life. Mm. Ultimately, this is more appropriate for the storyline and where it goes into the towards the end. She finds her new love right in the last bit of the uh, seventh season, okay. and so Willow's redemption arc is essential. Yeah, to the way that the end of the uh, season seven happens. I'm not going to give it away because I want you all to go out and watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer yep. from start to finish. But yeah, it's really engaging and you really follow it with her and it, she is uh, such a, a complex character growth, mm. you know. And I guess I wonder as well, I've been wondering about the kind of Wiccan queerness and, yeah. you know, we've talked a lot about like witchcraft yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, queer women and witchcraft. And I wonder, I was wondering if she was made a witch because of that. Or mm. if that was just like, it just sort of happened like that. But I guess it could happen like that anyway and still be influenced by that idea because you're influenced by things unconsciously all the time. Yeah, right? it's like, yeah, it's the nature-nurture, like, yeah, does witchcraft influence, yeah, the kind of, the queer, the queer coding, or is it the other way around, or... Yeah. There's actually, um, in the, uh, in the, the decanken, um handkerchief, uh, the new flagging ones, there's, yes. there is one that's for, for uh, wim- women, mm. spelled, um, yeah, W-Y, um, which is about yeah, very witchy, yeah, uh, witchy, witchy, witchy women, witchy women, and witchy queer uh, people. Anyway, so that's a nice, uh, yeah, comparison. It's all coming together, Daisy. It's all coming together. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know which one. Yeah, I don't know which one came first, <laughs> the, witch, the witching or the the queering. I don't the know. Witch or the egg, the cauldron or the potion. Daisy, you stop that right now. Uh, I do think it is important to talk about something very troubling though. Joss Whedon is said to have run an incredibly toxic environment for his actors and the actors who have worked with him have had a huge mix of things to say about his conduct, kindness, as well as really pretty bad cruelty. Mm. Uh, those in his good graces were overwhelm- overwhelmingly supported and those who were not were subject to tra- terrible treatment, uh, which some of the Buffy stars say they are still processing some 20 years later. Mm. Okay. Um, this is something that's kind of reflected in in the show as well because there's a duality which you can some you see quite a lot with people who don't realize how misogynistic or sexist they are in that so they they you can look at a really hideous heinous crime and say yes that's definitely obviously wrong but then we'll let microaggressions or casual sexism go as just like well that's just how things are you know mm-hmm. um so oftentimes in the show it depicts these really big, disgusting, misogynistic characters as demons and situations that Buffy and the, and 
so the friends call themselves the Scooby Gang, and the Scoobies will <laughs> clearly denounce as wrong, and they defeat that yeah. power. Um, but then other times, like Xander, the um, author surrogate, just really makes like inappropriate sexual remarks about his friends. Um, he's quite his mis- misogyny goes really unchecked, mm. and as the author surrogate, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, yeah. with Joss's uh, behaviour. But then just to round things up, because uh, we are coming towards the end of our time now. Even with that in mind, I think the show is still really important. Like it gave a lot of hope to a lot of people. Um, I used to get so excited when I managed to catch it on TV. Um, mm. And when I was in uni, when I was at uni, all seven seasons were on um, Netflix, and I watched every episode, and it was so good. It yeah, was yeah. so amazing. From the amount of articles out there that I read, um, it seems that you know I'm not the only one. It gave a lot to a lot of other queer people, mm. and it also gave a lot to straight people in terms of changing the entire landscape. Yeah, a bit of, of exposure. Yeah. Of uh, yeah, the the teen soap and drama, and just like the way language is used in television and things like that too, it was actually quite groundbreaking. And as a show, it reflects a lot of the elements of becoming a person and kind of coming to terms with the kind of person that you are. Maybe maybe even like grieving over the loss of who you thought you might be. You know, yeah. Um, it is also still sci-fi and there's demons yeah. and it is fun and like the characters are really funny. Yeah, yeah. So it, you know, there's some light light humor in it too. Um. But yeah. to have a yeah more detailed coming of age story that isn't just that isn't basic that is, yeah it's you know, not it may have yeah, vampires it's... and demons in but it is it is still a, a, you know a truthful full um, reflection of of teenage yeah. life and and drama and exactly and I think that as well like a show like Buffy like the universe that's created with Buffy the Vampire Slayer there was a one off film and then the show and then there's a spin off Angel and then there's also a comic series mm. in which I think. My friend told me that Buffy and Willow sleep together in the comic series, but Buffy's like, actually, like that was fun, but not for me. You have fun. Yeah, you could. So it's created by one person. Yeah. Like Joss originally, but once I have like I have this idea that once something's out of your head and it's out in the world, it's out of your hands yeah. now. You yeah. don't get to say like it's no longer yours. It becomes the property of the fans. Yeah. The cu- yeah, a cult classic. The upkeep is is by the the fans. And yeah, the fanfic. Is the a ongoing huge part of that. life of it is by the fans, isn't yeah. it? And it takes on, uh, yeah. There's all these spin-offs and and the amount of fan fiction as well that's written about it. Like, it was created by a problematic person. Yes, and I think that's important to recognise. Um, but I do think that this the show the universe that's been created around Buffy the Vampire is uh, Vampire Slayer is really important. Yeah, and it's really great. And yeah, we own it. It's ours now. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it is is quite wholesome um, in 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 part. And I, uh, I guess the guess the good bit about a spin off is you can cut out all the shit and just take the the good bits and yeah. adapt it and and go further and be ex- like explicit. You know. Yeah. So there's loads. Yeah, there's loads of implicit queerness, but there's also like a good helping of explicit queerness. Yeah. And I think I like. Buffy the Vampire Slayer was probably my first exposure to a healthy queer mm. relationship with Tara and yeah, Willow. Because yeah. I'd seen I'd seen queer relationships and other things like um, Skins and At Home with the Braithwaite's, but the one in Skins is fucking tragic. Like all of those teenagers in that TV show were having a bad time, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so it wasn't healthy. It was a lot of denial, a lot of like manipulating, and, and yeah, you know, there's Buffy lot, was more fun. Yeah, there's a lot more like. Yes, yeah, stereotypes in in kind of teen dramas and and especially like TV series like in the yeah in the late nineties and you know early two thousands like it was there wasn't a lot of positive yeah it wasn't normalized it was yeah either fetishized yeah or just stereotyped yeah and incredibly tragic and AIDSy yeah exactly or just like hugely outlandish characters which weren't yeah which nothing good happened to they were very like yeah tokenized and and yeah stereotypes are never good and never accurate you know because it just paints a really yeah really inaccurate picture for any you know straight or otherwise you know or questioning people who are who haven't got access to real (laughs) real icons or real you know archetypes or or role models and i feel as well that because it's horror sci-fi there is an added element of freedom Mm. because you're like you don't have to uh, say, well, you know, it's realistic to yeah. have a bad, sad relationship because it's not realistic to have vampires. So you can just yeah. be like, well, actually, we're just going to do all the relationships how we feel like because this is very clearly not your world. Yeah, there's, there's always magic. Yeah, magic so. is great. Anyway, that's all. Magic is great. Um, thank you so much. That was great, Hannah. I wish it was still on Netflix. I really have an urge to go back. And I'm going to send you a link. I'm going to find you. Episode. 
an, a link to this episode and I'm going to send it to you, yes. okay? Because it is, uh, that's the once more with the feeling episode. Because mm-hmm. it is a banger. It's so good. Oh, thank you so much. I, yeah, I always love to hear more. Yeah, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is something I've dipped into. Yeah, so I recommend it to anybody. Uh, right, so thank you. Thank you for listening to us ramble on about uh, more, you know, queer discoveries and, and history and culture and how it is everywhere. Uh, it could even be in your back pocket or on your six o'clock TV slot before your TV dinner and uh, well, exactly. mum gets the remote. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we've been uh, Radio Zaddy. You can find us online um, on Instagram and Twitter, Radio Zaddy, X-A-D-D-Y, and radio spelt the traditional way. I've been Data Thurston Gent, and uh, with me is... Hannah Bestwick. And um, yeah, see you, see you next time. Cheers. Bye.